Welcome to Talk Therapy CBT, a conversation about educating, helping, and connecting individuals to the world of psychology. This podcast is supported and produced by Interbalance Psychology Center. I'm your host, Dr. Dawn Raffa, and joined with me today is my co-host, Anthony Dana. How are you doing today, Anthony? Very good. Happy Sunday to everyone. And I want to send out a happy birthday to Steve Sissio. He turned 51 today. Happy birthday, Steve. And we're going to continue on. I believe, with thinking traps. And this is part deux, deux. part two, for those of you who don't speak French. Yeah, part two. So we're going to delve into the other thinking traps that are on our lengthy list of 13, because we definitely don't want to go over 13 of them in one episode. That would be a lot of thinking traps to absorb and also just to go over for us. So we're going to start out as we normally do with our quotes we're going to do my quote first. Let's do yours first. <laughs> okay. So um, short and sweet. The best thinking is rethinking. And this is by someone named Shane Parrish. So what do you think that means? Any kind of intel on what you think this means? The best? The best thinking is rethinking. It's just like what they say about writing. Writing is rewriting. So mm-hmm. this can also be dangerous like anything can be because you don't want to overthink things. But... Mm-hmm. So many times we don't want to be impulsive. And I think that's a bigger issue for most people to think things through before they actually act and rethink of, well, okay, because of the thinking traps, you get caught in a trap too often if you don't think about things. And okay, wait, by making a mountain out of a molehill, which is often the case. Uh, and I think I've, there's a couple of phrases I overuse, and I think <laughs> that might be one of them. But with psychology, mm-hmm. there's a lot of that that kind of thinking, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And that would be overreacting slash over like catastrophizing to a degree. But one of the hallmark of cognitive behavioral therapy is really thinking about our thinking. And that's when you first come into therapy. No one really does that. I know I may have mentioned this before, but like we just take our thinking to be truth. We don't challenge our thinking. And sometimes when we go through a thought record or we think about our thinking, maybe our thinking is accurate or realistic. Maybe our assumptions are correct. I'm not sure. But it's really good to just take a step back and maybe rethink something. And yes, not being impulsive although sometimes being impulsive can be fun for some people. But yeah, at least just maybe rethinking not only our thinking or maybe the outcomes to our decisions, kind of like the pros and cons, you know. It's like what Socrates said, to know thyself is the beginning of wisdom. To know yourself is also to know why you think the way you do. Mm -hmm. You know, what motivates you to think a certain way or what benefits you have of thinking this way. Yeah, and just being open to it, you know, and not being defensive about it. And I mean... Like I said, distortions, sometimes people think about it like, oh, it's wrong thinking or it's not right or it's not really right or wrong. It's just I like to use the term helpful. Is that helpful? Is it self-defeating? Not necessarily making it black or white and right or wrong. So, all right. So you have your quote for today. So for thinking traps, part two, it's a trap. And that is from Return of the Jedi, and it was (laughs) uttered by the red iguana guy (laughs) that was in the control tower. Yes. I forget his name. Do you, so do you recall his name? I do know his name. I have a, a good memory about these things, playing with Legos and stuff. So Admiral Akbar. Okay. He, he was that. Did he say that in English? It's a trap. I mean, his yeah. mouth barely moved because yeah. the person. Because it was kind of. Yes, like of course. Is he the one that spoke in like a different language, like the clicky? I probably could do that. Do that too. You know, every, everybody was at least quadlingual. Right. You know, <laughs> it spoke different languages. No, Admiral but that's not the fun quote. quote. No, that's not the yeah, too. So yes, that's one. Right. The other quote I have is never compare your journey with someone else's journey. Mm-hmm. Your journey is your journey, not a competition. And this relates to one of the thinking traps that we're going to review today. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, for me, I just look at this as it's everybody has a different journey. 
And if you want to compare yourself, you know, to someone else, you're always going to have an unfavorable comparison as long as you do it in a negative way. Because you're always going to find something that somebody else has that you want instead of just comparing yourself to, say, a year ago. There's also just, well, you tell me what that quote means to you, I guess. Yeah, it definitely reminds me of cognitive distortion of unfavorable comparisons. Mm -hmm. And it is no two people have a similar journey and it's not really fair to compare our journey to someone else's and especially if we compare it and put ourselves down you know or in this other fairy tale way of they have it so much better you know they got to this end of the marathon better and why can't I and so yeah it's all individual and we can have empathy and sympathy but again we can never know what it's like to walk in someone else's shoes per se so we do ourselves a disservice if we're stuck in that distortion that trap distortion trap of unfavorable comparisons so yeah and it's very subjective right all of our journeys are very unique and subjective mm-hmm. yeah yeah i like to think so mm-hmm. you know it's always thought of as you have to look at other people and then walk a day in their shoes just to get an idea of mm-hmm. what they have to go through and but you're never going to know what they already went through and that's the same for you as well if they're curious about what you've accomplished well they don't know what you did like everybody looks at the finished product and they don't look at all the hard work that went into it and anybody who has anything obviously unless it's they have a crazy inheritance from say from yeah. Rockefellers or something <laughs> but I mean it's all because of hard work no matter what it is mm-hmm. right so I do have an announcement to make. Sad news this week in the world of CBT. Uh, Dr. Aaron Beck passed away on November 1st. He was 100 years old. He passed away peacefully at home. So we're saddened by that news. He lived a very long life, and he was obviously the father of CBT, so his work will go on and already was going on prior to his passing. So I just wanted to make mention of that since we pay homage to him pretty often you know thinking back I, I don't know much about him i just you know obviously you introduced me to this man and who he is and what he is what he was it just goes to show you that i mean how much impact one can make because of him there's cbt you know there's cognitive behavioral therapy and you know how many lives have he, has he changed for the better as far as just you know inspiring like you and other psychologists his children and you know throughout the world of psychology absolutely yeah and i often think about like there's not too many of that generation left that are still alive because and they tend to be like in the New York and Philadelphia area, which is great. And I've had the privilege of going to conferences or workshops and meeting some of these individuals because, you know, they are going to pass away and their legacy lives on. So, right. yeah. So thank goodness he came up with CBT, right? Yeah. <laughs> Another to look over his bio again now, but um, I'm just curious to see what else. He, I mean, I know he did a lot of other things as well. Right. So we have three. <laughs> three winners. Three next distortions on the list are black and white thinking. Mm-hmm. Why don't just go one at a time? So the next one, number four, is black and white thinking. With black and white thinking, it's either all or nothing at all with this type of thing. It's all or nothing, also called black and white thinking. It's putting things in a very discrete category, not seeing things in shades of gray. So we often hear this with words of good or bad, success, failure, right or wrong. And people who get stuck with this type of distortion often are very depressed because it's either good or bad, their success or their failure, and their definitions are often very rigid. So we were trying to think about ways in which this could be good, if there's any favor, like any good that could come out of black and white, because people aren't black and white, like we're too complex you know we have weaknesses and obviously strengths I see this a lot like so once I was you know trained especially as CBT therapists like I your radar's up so you hear distortions everywhere grocery store you just hear people talking and you just like ding ding you hear these different distortions this one is a lot and it's usually those words right wrong good bad they're like absolute 
It's, Very absolute. Yeah. yeah. One of my pet peeves, by the way, I may have shared this with you, is in the world of parenting, saying that a child is a good boy or a good girl. Did I ever tell you why that would be a good thing? Yeah. You why? want to guess why? Well, it's just very absolute. And it's, they don't, you don't want to think of them because when they're bad, it's like it's so damaging. Mm-hmm. It can be so damaging where mm-hmm. I think people obsess on the negative you know, context where if we hear that we're good, it's like, okay, that's just how we should be. Yeah. And it's not like we celebrate that the way we crucify ourselves for being wrong. And, and we just have this self-deprivation of I'm bad. I'm so, and I just need to just hide. Yeah. It becomes very damaging because kids obviously care about what their parents think. And I, you know, all of these distortions are childlike distortions. So all of this you see in your children. If the kid doesn't pick up his toy and now he's a bad boy, it's now conditional. His worth is now conditional on picking up that toy. So I try to help parents reframe it to the behavior. If you want to use good and bad, mm-hmm. I don't like using it and I, I don't, but um, is that was a good job. You did a good job. Right. Your behavior was good today. Yeah, what I like is, and I do this sometimes in class, I do this with my kids, but like if they're doing something that they shouldn't be or they know they shouldn't be, that I would rather them not do. It's a better way of saying it than the, the shouldn't. Should take out that word. But instead of, you could say, um, I say something like, uh, you know, okay, so if it's to pick up the toys thing, it's like, oh, come on, pick up your toys. You're better than that. Uh-huh. I know you're better than that. Like, yeah, so as if to job. say, there's still, you still have time to fix this, right? So you're- It's a choice. It's like making a good choice or a bad choice right. because kids will very much- beliefs are thought to be formed early childhood you know around like elementary age i am bad because now this kid's like i'm a bad kid because my room is messed oh no right but i kind of think of it as your toys are still on the floor you haven't picked them up you still have an opportunity Mm -hmm. to do the right thing and i'm giving you that window of opportunity so and i know you're better than that do the right thing right and if they think they're inherently bad then they might give up and well, I'm just a bad kid anyway. Well, I'm going to act like you talk. Like, I guess I'm bad. I'm so live up to that. I'm going to. I don't want to prove you wrong, Dad. Yeah. So okay. And there's certain, I you know, religions or ideologies that stick with the good, bad, and like the right and wrong, and using fear. You know. So I don't know how often you hear black and white thinking with your high school students because they might not be. Nobody's having a conversation very often in class. Sometimes you get that. It's just mostly just silence and, and texting. As a teacher, sometimes it's a haven, but at times, you know, obviously it defeats the whole purpose of teaching and trying to keep their attention. I hear this with kids, definitely the black or white, like they make one mistake, like, oh, I'm so stupid. I'm such a failure. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> like, are you really? Let's define failure and, you know, not giving themselves a break or whatever. Going right to the moving lever all the way down to, I, I did this bad thing or this I failed this test, therefore I am a failure. You know what? I'm going to put myself in the same label, I guess, because when you hear stories trying to motivate people to not be so, you know, depressed over a failure, you know, because we talk about, you know, Thomas Edison failed how many times before he, you know, came up with the condescent light bulb. No, he just, he figured out, you know, whatever, how many ways to not make one, you know, but he had, he had to fail so many times before he can get it right. right. Abraham Lincoln, there's a poster I used to have in my room somewhere in the closet now, but goes over his whole timeline of his whole, all of his failures. He ran for this and lost, but then he re-ran and won. And, he, and so it's just kind of like, finally, you know, throughout the 1840s, 50s, and then finally he was elected in 1860. So it just shows you how many times this guy failed. You know what I mean? Yeah, and there's a difference between a behavior, like failing to meet a goal or failing to do something, But one of my favorite words is persistence. I love that word, persistence, because it really is what, um, you know, successful people tend to do. It's like accepting the failure, accepting that you're going to have failed attempts at things, and then keep persisting. 
and taking the risk, right? Yeah, as a teacher, I see students who haven't really failed at things. Now, whether they just cherry-picked, you know, easy things to accomplish, I worry sometimes because I know that first major failure can be, I don't want them to fail. It's like, you know, but it would, wouldn't be bad for them, you know, some of them, like a little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah. You know, and again, when I say a failure, it's not like, a, you, you know, you got a 32 on a test. No, but maybe like, okay, you know what? You wanted to get on, you know. Well, it's like a reality check. Right? A little bit. Yeah. And, you know, and I think with society, again, this goes into to the whole everybody gets a trophy right. and it's only you know whatever the sport is it's soccer like is it really going to ruin that kid's life if he doesn't get a trophy for participating in the soccer he has good memories he played his games you know what i mean okay so does he get he has to get a trophy for that like he yeah. you know what i mean like come on like they were in last place they didn't win a game all year you know what i mean well, come on right right and it doesn't give very good perspective it hinders the definition of success and failure and not giving kids a reality check of what you have to do it's to- be successful i would think if i was that kid because i played soccer we won the championship one year mm-hmm. and then two other years we were terrible mm-hmm. and if somebody <laughs> gave me a trophy one of those two years it would negate or make the championship trophy feel lesser i don't care if it was a little smaller than the championship trophy or not and also i'd be insulted like you really worried about me so bad my feelings because i need a trophy to feel like oh god i get fine we, we suck this year whatever yeah. i don't care you know yeah and i think it feeds into other distortions but also again there's shades of gray you know and it doesn't mean something bad about you if you make a mistake or don't clean up your room or pe- or fail a test let's say so it reminds me of the unfavorable comparisons is our our next one by the way but yeah i think black and white thinking can be i wouldn't say dangerous but it's not really, I can't think, we can't think of any way in which it could be favorable per se. No, I think that's the one where, ironically, there's no gray area. Also, by the way, people can see others in black and white. Like he or she is great or not great, or I love this person or I hate this person. People who have personality disorders, borderline personality disorder individuals split called splitting they see people (laughs) this way i love you or i hate you i'm gonna reject you or i'm gonna embrace you so we see that with distortions about other people right i mean i guess people need to use more gray words or more sometimes i even find myself now that he's mentioned it like you know i'll say how do you like so-and-so so far he's okay (laughs) he hasn't done anything to to upset me yet or you know so far i'm not a fan but that could change maybe next week he can realize what he has to do to be a successful administrator and i doubt it but i hope so blocked into it no i'm not talking about anybody in particular i might i'm just i'm just using that as a blanket example thank you exactly of course not so people are not black and white kind of like the always and the nevers you know, those words are keywords too with overgeneralization, but they can also be used with black or white, you know, seeing people in the color words. How about instead of saying like never, use a probability scale? <laughs> like, you know, the percentage of me passing this test today is kind of low because I didn't study, <laughs> but there's still a chance, yeah. you know, 10%. You know, I'll give myself a 10% chance. Statistically, it could be. You know, sometimes when I use numbers, I'll, okay, 90% of the time. <laughs> this is my this is my estimation, of right. course. I'm not like 100%. Gives you some wiggle room, too. Gives you wiggle room, yeah. Can't always be 100% of the time, right? Right. Next one is unfavorable comparisons. Okay. Okay. So unfavorable comparisons. So do you know what this one is? Do you remember what you're You see somebody who is accomplished and... You know, it's obviously comparing yourself to somebody unfavorably where you aren't where that person is. And do you got like you question yourself like what's wrong with, with you or 
You know, mm-hmm. why am I not like that person? It's, you know, it's not fair because you don't know what that person has gone through to accomplish that. And or behind the scenes, what is going on behind the scenes? Or maybe they're not happy at that position or whatever. It looks wonderful and glamorous, but mm-hmm. if you knew everything, you wouldn't want to trade yours to your position or where you are in life with that person in a million years. Right. And people don't do this in a favorable way where they, again, see people's strengths and weaknesses. They magnify other people's strengths and minimize their weakness and then they do the opposite for themselves so they magnify their own weaknesses and minimize their strengths so it's unfavorable because you're often left feeling badly if you're comparing yourself to someone else do you have an example i see students who might do this in class where they look at people and oh that kid just always gets a's like it just happens he wakes up and he puts (laughs) his name on a piece of paper and it's an a it's not because he paid attention every second in class he does quizlets on every single section he reads intensely Mm -hmm. he studies diligently and consistently but that's part he doesn't see he just knows that when oh you got the test back oh he got a 96 again right or seeing that kid's weakness like they might be really good in that but i guarantee that that kid that gets the a's has some weakness somewhere oh, yeah. not, not in a bad way weakness but nobody can be good at everything so maybe he's not good at running or he's not social he's more socially inept or something just because someone is academically smart there, there has to be some what does that supposed to make you feel better about yourself? Just that, well, at least I seen him play kickball. He well, he throws like a girl, whatever, man. You know, yeah, well, at least it's more balanced. It's a balanced view of the other person because they put him up on this pedestal, I guess, to a degree. And I see people doing this with, you know, parenting. Like, oh, this parent looks so put together and has everything to get. She's buttoned up, literally buttoned up. And I'll hear, you know, patients talk about that. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Like, I'm sure there's something you're not taking into consideration. Like, look at all this stuff. You're, is this a stay-at-home mom? Yeah, okay, well, this person has more time. You're working full-time. You want to get up at 6 in the morning and iron your suits? Go ahead. Yeah, you're not perfect, <laughs> and neither are they. So yeah. stop trying to put this person on this perch or, like, be all aspiring to look up to. I mean, I like to look at this one as you can flip the script. You can take a look at somebody, and you could say, okay, you know, that kid does get all A's. Okay, I want to be more like that kid. Mm-hmm. What does that kid do? What's their yeah. formula to do that? And maybe I want to talk to that kid. If he tells me his laundry list of what he has to do, okay, you know what? Maybe I'm fine with a B. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't want to do that. I like to have a social life. Yeah. I like to do something else you know like a reality check so yeah. i had this discussion with you know a kid once about or a few kids actually like i see it again in high school students obviously they're the epitome of unfavorable comparison we'll get into that in a second mm. but this was a discussion about i want to be a singer okay let's talk about that well i'm never going to be as good as you know like mariah carey britney spears something well not britney spears but like christina Aguilera. okay well this person that they see on YouTube is really good. And I'm like, well, let's think about all that they had to do to get to that point. Like, are you willing to give up this, this, and this to be that good? You got to be more favorable. And I see this with people who are depressed. They compare themselves to non-depressed people. That's very unfavorable because when people are depressed, they don't function the same way. So I'll guide them into having more favorable comparison to themselves last year or themselves six months ago when they were at their lowest. That's more favorable. So uh, social media, speaking of unfavorable comparisons, right? That is the world of unfavorable comparisons, and it feeds that distortion, don't you think? I like to describe social media as the devil. I really do. I just, and the more and more I just come across it anymore, it's just like, it's just so sad. And it's a very, it's a fairy tale fantasy. It was, I think, meant for good. To connect people. And it can be, but Mm -hmm. certain people and then certain apps and different... Oh, the filtering. Yeah, like, Mm -hmm. you know, you take a look at, and Facebook's guilty of this, you know, you say, oh, you guys, they have a wonderful life. It's like, 
Yeah, there you go. Facebook. They're only posting good. Facebook posts. fabulous. Yeah, you didn't yeah. see the argument they had with the family. Okay, good. They're not yeah. going to post. We had our long fight this morning, and yeah. man, we threw things at each other. And here's the kitchen afterwards. You know, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> they're not going to show that. No, no, they're posting yeah. snapshots of the goodness yeah. of their life, and kids hook into that. This is what they should look like particularly young women. I know young men do it as well with their body image or glamour and what's considered beautiful. It's just like in our day, we had magazines that were photo they touched up. Now there's Photoshop, but that is absolutely the marketing, you know, is the epitome of unfavorable comparison. You use this beauty product and you'll be wonderful and beautiful. And I want to be like that person. Right. So this one is threaded in everywhere, right? In our society. I think so. Definitely. All right, so this one is the one I hear the most, assuming, mind reading slash assuming. So pretty self-explanatory, I'd say. Yeah. Did you assume today? Yeah, I assumed (laughs) that you started setting up the microphones. That means, okay, you want to get busy and you want to get this podcast started right away and stop dilly-dallying. So I had to hop too. No, but I'm just, (laughs) no, but like if you start like overthinking things and like, I think we used an example earlier, we were talking and somebody, hey, how are you doing today? It's like, why did he ask that? Like, why Mm -hmm. he never asked me how I'm doing? Is he condescending? Is he, maybe he just want to know how the hell you're doing today. Or how about this one? What did you do today? And there's like a hidden meaning like, oh, did you sit on your butt all day today? Did you, what you, were you productive today? Assuming happens in interpersonal relationships constantly we assume things about others and generally we end up assuming negative things why someone hasn't texted back must be because he or she's mad at me my boss is in a bad mood maybe it's because you know i did something that he or she is mad at and with couples this is the number one kind of like testing assumptions it is an actual homework assignment how about you just test the assumption with that person and ask hey what did you mean by that comment why were you late was it because of this this or this because we can just sit and assume and that whole make an ass of you and me (laughs) Yeah, but I would say, though, would you try to just, okay, because then you don't want to look like you're paranoid either all the time. Again, you shouldn't care what other people think, but you might, if you are being ridiculously paranoid, where you're asking and questioning everything that they said and why they said it. Yeah, right. With no reason. Well, I I usually assign a limit. It's like, I'm just not going to talk to you anymore then, pal. I'm like, okay, okay, you know. Well, when people have OCD, they often ask for reassurance about, or is everything going to be okay? If I wash my hands five times as opposed to six, is it going to be fine? Like, is it, you know? And I usually give a limit. You can ask one time. That's it. <laughs> so, yes, it could be dangerous if it's asking too much. If it's something that's really bothering you, then just put your cards on the table with that person. Say, hey, just curious. Mm-hmm. Did you mean anything by that? Or, you know, because of this that happened in the past or whatever, whatever the reason why you might be thinking. But again, make sure you have a good reason, not just because you're worried about everybody's opinion, because then that, that's a you thing. There's people who assume things for years and years and years, and they never check it out, and they hold a grudge maybe against this person. And then you find out the truth. You know, it's, oh, you were trapped under a bus. That's why you didn't come to my party. Oh, I just thought you hated my guts. Yeah, you never RSVP'd. I yeah. thought it was because you hated me. And yeah. Better going on. And so assumptions are all over the place, and sometimes they're good assumptions. Sometimes we can assume something, and it could be used for powers of good. Oftentimes, it gets us into trouble because we believe we can read other people's minds. I don't don't believe we've been able to perfect that yet, right? That hasn't been a Mind reading? No, but I'm still working on it. <laughs> we practice in meditation. That and my Jedi mind tricks, yes. Yes. Still yeah. working on that one, too. <laughs> so maybe we'll, we'll be able to 
figure that out. So, okay. So these are our three distortions for today. And I think that it's relatable, you know, and again, automatic thoughts, these are automatic thoughts that pop into our mind and we all do them. It's just a matter of checking or thinking, catching, checking, changing, right? So summarizing for today, would it be, but we're not going to have a game because we're working on a good, a good, a really game. good one for the end of the thinking traps. It's going to be like a finale. A yeah. Game finale. We, we have at least one, I think so there's going to be three parts, maybe four parts in total when we're done this. Right. Depending on how we group them. Right. But yeah, because there's 13 total. I think there's going to be four because we're, we only have six of them and we have seven to go. So we'll do yeah. three and four. Four mm-hmm. three. Yeah, we have an idea that we came up with right before we recorded that we're like, yeah, we don't have time to do that game today. So we got to listen to our show in order to <laughs> see what our game is. So anyway, go ahead. So summarizing for today. You want to I think a lot of it is just stop. Well, <laughs> stop and give yourself a chance. But also <laughs> just, yeah, I mean, you know what you're doing. Just like we said, <laughs> your quote, rethink of what you're thinking and then rethink. Could there be anything detrimental to that way of thinking? Is this considered, okay, is this kind of black and white thinking? Is it, I mean, you know, have Having these in the back of your head, I'm not saying you should have them written down and put in your purse or wallet and well, always an refer to them. Oh, is there? Yeah, okay. There's thought record apps. One is called CBT Diary, I Prompt You, Mood Kit, and all the thought records. So you don't have to put them in your wallet or you purse. You don't have to. You can, certainly. And you can. I guess I want to say never, but if it's a chronic uh, well, issue that you have, fine, do it. Well, part of the treatment regimen is initially just eliciting automatic thoughts, noticing your thoughts. So I'll have people just do that and then identifying the cognitive distortions. That's what yeah, some people might have, okay, you know what? I, I only, three and five are my big yeah. ones. The other ones I really don't do. Or Sure. Sometimes you don't. And I'll point them out, you know, in therapy, I'll point out when you're doing that. And after people have been coming a while, they'll say, oh, I know that was unfavorable comparison, Dr. Apple. Yeah. I made myself or or do you, are you happy when they, they come to you and say, you know, I caught myself doing yes. this on Thursday. Absolutely. And I thought of you and I, th- I thought of it's what very, you'd say. Very exciting. Oh, I should it all week. And yeah, like I caught it. So that's, to me, then they're now, it's in their conscious awareness because all of this stuff is right below the surface of our conscious awareness like it's not unconscious but it's happening so it's a matter of catching it so yes there are practice you know homework practice with thought records best question is probably what makes me think this thought is true that's a really good one what did you raise the heat up to it's hot in here you're hot yeah did you put up to go past 70 no I'm going to check. Are you assuming? Yes, I'm assuming. And I'm assuming of what you, yes, exactly. And next week you can tune in and you can find out if she did put it over 70 or not. 68. Yeah, I'm going to, oh, dangerously close. I knew you were warm because that's why I'm warm. Oh, see? Yeah. (laughs) I'm actually warm. I'm usually freezing in this fall weather. We changed the clocks. Yes, we did. It's officially autumn, right? Fall slash autumn. All right. So. Here we go. Thanks, as always, for listening to our show. Catch all of our episodes and more at www.innerbalancepsychology.com or talktherapycbt.com. Email us if you have any questions at info at innerbalancepsychology.com. And as always, remember to stop it and give yourself a chance.